Greetings and salutations in the name of our Lord. I hope you're having a fabulous day. Today we are going to continue our series of Christmas devotionals. And today I ask the question, why shepherds? What is it about the shepherds that made them such an integral part of the story? Why did the angels appear to the shepherds? It's just another one of those little questions that my silly little mind seems to uh, point itself towards. I hear some noise in the background. That's my wife getting ready for work. She's uh, drying her hair. So, hello Henry. It's good to see you again. So, we've talked so far about Mary and Joseph and their story. And I did my best to wrap myself around the humanity that surrounded their story. Uh, and there, I, before we get to the shepherds, I would like to put another thought out there about Mary and Joseph. I realized that I might have come off a little harsh on Mary's family. I came at it from the aspect of a father uh, whose 14-year-old daughter would tell him that she's pregnant and how difficult that was and the shame that that would bring on a family in those days and uh, uh, all that and perhaps that her family shut her out and uh, it, it's that is indeed a possibility but there is another possibility to consider about Mary's family and I don't want to throw them under the bus if I don't have to Mary's attitude was very very incredible be it done unto me as you say she's basically said after the angel gabriel told her what god was going to do she submitted to his will for her that submissive attitude towards god is something pretty much that's learned from your parents so her parents might not have been these evil oh my gosh, my daughter is having a baby outside of wedlock. Let's throw her into the street kind of parents. They might very well have been very godly parents. And that is proven by her godly response to the angel's declaration. So it's very possible that her parents were very wonderful parents and understanding parents and were probably worked with Joseph to be as kind as they possibly could to what was what could have been a very ugly situation. So I don't want people to think that I think that Mary's parents were automatically just harsh and ugly and, uh, and judgmental. Uh, it's very possible that they were very wonderful people. And so I just want to put that out there because honestly, a child gets their attitudes about God and the world around them from their parents. And judging from her response to the angel, it's very possible, and maybe even probable, that her family was a God-fearing family. But that doesn't mean they didn't know how to handle a situation like this. So there's, there's lots that we don't know, but there's a lot to the humanity of Joseph's situation and Mary's situation that makes it an intriguing story. The end result being, though, Mary was obedient. Joseph was obedient. And God took ordinary people 
not the famous. He didn't appear and give the Messiah into the family of the high priest. He didn't make Messiah come to the, a rich and influential family, politically connected family. A carpenter out of Nazareth. And an unremarkable by the world standards, 14-year-old, 15-year-old Jewish girl. So I just want to put that in there because it's it's very possible that uh, that I might be a little bit too harsh on Mary's family. I sometimes get carried away that way sometimes. But, so there's lots of options to think about here. But today, we are going to be talking about the shepherds. Why the shepherds? I'm so glad you asked. Great questions. Let's see. Let's go to it here. I pulled out some ideas from a couple articles I've read. Why shepherds? At the birth of Jesus, the only recorded appearance of angels in the Bible was to shepherds. An angel says to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. The message to the shepherds is both broad for all the people and personal. A Savior has been born to you. There's a Savior. He's been born to you. He's for all the people. Now, these shepherds, they demonstrated an eagerness to embrace the good news. They hurried to find Jesus. They spread the word about him. They glorified and praised God. Yet, it seems strange that the only appearance of a great company of heavenly hosts was made to lowly shepherds, men who were living out in the fields tending sheep. Was there something significant to God about shepherding? Again, you ask all the right questions. This person who wrote this article said, if we're resorting to symbolism, then the shepherd stood for the cross-sectional average Judean, quite literally, the man on the night shift, the blue-collar guy, the common, everyday man who gets up, goes to work, comes home. Shepherds had a difficult job that had no rank in society. Um, he used the term shepherd to describe the leaders of his people in both the Old and New Testaments, and he even used the word to describe himself. He's the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. So the term shepherd is a term that God uses to refer to himself. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. So a shepherd is a good symbol to describe God's relationship to us. So shepherds hold a special place in the heart of God. Now, the that the title of shepherd be applied to God reveals that the role of the shepherd is praiseworthy. All right, now this next statement is really important. 
Truly it is the sheep that make the job dirty and detestable to any other than the shepherd who loves them. Who are the sheep? The Bible tells us that the sheep are actually the followers of God. That would be us. Philip Keller, a modern century, um, a 20th century shepherd, writes, Our behavior patterns and life habits are so much like that of sheep, it's well nigh embarrassing. Sheep are slow, weak, foolish, nervous, fearful, helpless, and most importantly, totally dependent on their shepherd. The care of the shepherd profoundly impacts the condition of the sheep. Keller writes, under one man, sheep would struggle, starve, and suffer endless hardship. But in another's care, they would flourish and thrive contentedly. Since humans are totally dependent on God, it is a wonderful blessing that Jesus, the sheep chief shepherd, is a good shepherd. So why shepherds? Well, shepherds hold a central part in God's picture of his relationship with us. So I could see that. I could see that. I think there's a more practical uh, reason why he chose shepherds. Now, this is just page thinking with his mouth open. And it has to do with the fact that uh, this, uh, it, shepherd stood for the cross-sectional average Judean, quite literally the man in the night, the blue-collar guy. So keep that thought in mind because now I'm going to ask a question. Why not appear to the priests at the Jerusalem temple? Why not appear to the leadership of Israel? The people who were supposed to be the shepherds of the nation Israel, the priests, the Pharisees, Sadducees, Levites. Sometimes, and this is this is Page's personal uh, sense of things, sometimes, Religiously trained people are the hardest people to convince of anything that sits outside their preconceived notions of what they've learned. Perhaps the circumstances of Jesus' birth was so divergent from their set-in-stone expectations about the who the Messiah would be and look like, perhaps they would not be the best group of people for the angels to appear to. In Daniel, we see the timing of when Messiah would come as a conquering king, when he arrives riding on the clouds of heaven at his second coming. Was it confusion over the seemingly divergent prophecies? Would the Messiah be cut off killed as predicted in Daniel? Or would he come in regal splendor and reign forever as in Isaiah 9? Would he be the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 or the royal king portrayed in Psalm 2? After centuries of being slaves or subjects of the conquering kingdoms, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, the most common Jewish expectation was that Messiah would come as a liberating son of David, to come as a conquering king, and to restore the political fortunes of the Jewish nation, restoring the ancient glory of Israel. Is it possible that the shepherds held no preconceptions about Messiah, that is, what he should look or act like, and that the religious professionals were geared to expect a military liberator due to Israel's being subject to other nations for the last 400 to 500 years? Which of these groups do you think would be more the more faithful storytellers of the events that unfolded? My dad was very much a blue-collar guy. His attitude was, these are the cards, 
Life has dealt me, so this is the hand I will play. He worked at a pulp mill. He went to work, got his paycheck, came home, took care of his family. He always worked hard his entire life, and when he died, he wasn't famous. When he died, there were no parades in his name. When he died, he just vanished from the pages of this world's current events. We, who are his children, remember him. My grandchildren don't remember their great-grandfather because they never met him. But in a sense, they know him because the values that my father carried, he passed on to me and I passed on to my son and my daughter. And they are passing that those values on to the next generation. So they might not know his name, but they know a lot about what he was like because of what he was like is kind of like what I'm like. So he had no illusions of grandeur, no dreams of fame and fortune or splendor. He was a regular guy. That's the sense I get about these shepherds. They saw, they heard, they told. What impact could that have had? They're nobody famous. They're not reaching the thousands that come into the city of Jerusalem every day to sacrifice and worship at the temple. They went to the manger. They saw the Christ child. And as they left and went back out to work, they told everybody they ran into, probably not a lot of folks. But for the rest of their life, they would have that story to tell, right? Well, what impact could they have had, really? Well, 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years later, I should say, we still tell their story, right? That's got to show some impact. Perhaps there was no immediate impact from the story they told, but Daddy, tell us that story about the angels. Grandpa, tell us the story about the angels. Grandpa, tell us the story about when your grandpa saw the angels, and so on, and so on, and so on. The immediate impact was small, but imagine generate the generational impact of being and telling the story about how God chose you to be the first one to see the Christ child. Imagine the generational impact of the story of you seeing real angels being told generation after generation after generation. I have no doubt that their lives were changed because whenever you, your life intersects with God, life changes. When angels show up, life changes. When God shows up, life changes. And I don't have any trouble believing that these shepherds' lives were much different lives after this moment than they were before the angels showed up. Perhaps a good illustration of this would be a dream I had once. And in my dream, I had died, gone to heaven. Now, just previous to this dream, though, I had gone to Russia on a missions trip. And uh, I ministered to a bunch of to orphans and orphanages all around Moscow. Um, 
it was a soul-crushing, spirit-breaking trip in the sense that I was crushed by the level of poverty I saw in these orphanages, but my spirit was broken in the sense that I saw people who loved God and loved these children in the midst of the most horrific circumstances that you could possibly imagine. These children were loved. These children were taken care of. Even though they had next to nothing. I saw Christians who didn't have the untold wealth that we Christians in the West have. I saw them worshiping God with abandon even though there was no church building to worship in. We met a pastor once, one of the pastors who sponsored our trip over there, and he was getting kicked out of his building. His church was getting kicked out of the building they worshiped in. I says, where will you worship? He waved behind him to the park, to the woods, and he said, if we have to, we worship in the trees. I said, what if someone wants to be baptized? He said, there's the river. He pointed to a river. I said, what if it's December and it's 20 below zero? He said, if they want to be saved, there's the river. I was so overwhelmed by that response. How these Christians very much had the same attitude that my father had. They played the hand that God dealt them. I saw strength of character. I saw uh, true worship. And so I come home and I'm crushed over this because that didn't describe me. Um, I felt that I realized I was very materialistic. I realized I was very um, worldly centered. And I realized I didn't have much of a story to tell. Not like these Christians over there did. And I, in the midst of this sense of stuff that I was dealing with as a result of Russia, I had this dream. In my dream, in my dream, I had died. And I'm standing in the throng, in a throng of millions in front of the throne of God. And in Matthew, it describes a time of judgment where God is calling out his followers and he's saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, though I was a Christian, I felt great shame at being there because in reviewing my life, I didn't see where I had done anything worthy of praise. I had tried hard to do great things and failed mightily. I thought I was supposed to be a pastor. That never came to be. Thought I was supposed to be a worship pastor. That never came to be. Um, I was in the process of getting ready to go through bankruptcy. Um, there, my life was falling apart in many ways. And I felt shame at being in that crowd. And my, my head is bowed and I'm weeping. In my dream, I'm weeping. And I hear him call my name, Paige. I don't look up because of my shame. And I hear him go, Paige, I don't look up because of my shame. Then I hear him go, P 
page. And I jerked my head up because he had a sharp edge to his voice. And he points off to his right. And off to his right, my left. I looked and I saw my son and a wife. Now, my son wasn't married at the time. I saw my son and his wife. And behind them, generations, generations of believers. A huge throng, generations of believers. And Jesus looks at me and goes, oh, well done. Then he points to his left, my right. I looked over there and there's my daughter and her husband. They don't have children. But they have developed a secret little ministry of their own where they just bless the people that are around them. God has granted them the ability to provide food, sometimes even shelter, to families that are in desperate need. I've watched them change people's lives anonymously for years now. And they're surrounded by the thousands of people whose lives they've touched. And Jesus looks at me and goes, oh, Paige, well done. And then I wake up. And I realized that maybe my life in and of itself has very little impact on this world just by me. But by raising a godly son and a godly daughter, they will impact the next generation, which will impact the next generation. And we end up with a little diagram looks like this. This is me. There's my son. He has three children. Now, if each one of those three children have two children, then each of those two children have two children each. All of a sudden, you can see how within three generations, there's a crowd of people whose lives are changed because I changed one life. I impacted one life. My story, my values, what is important to me was instilled in my son, who is now instilling them in each of his three children, who when they have children will install instill those same values in the, their children. So in a matter of you can see in five or six generations down the road, there's going to be a huge crowd of people whose lives will change because I was faithful to tell my story to my son, who told it to his son, who told it to his son, etc. So maybe the shepherd's impact, immediate impact, wasn't great. We never hear about them past this moment. Look what happened. They told their story. Daddy, tell us the story about the angels. Grandpa, tell us that story about the angels again. Grandpa, tell us the story about when your grandpa saw the angels. And so on and so on. The power of the blue-collar guy is not to be underestimated. These shepherds were not the rock stars of their day. Their jobs were considered by many to be less than desirable. Sheep are messy critters. 
and tending sheep is not a life's dream for a lot of boys growing up, I would think. But the angels appeared to them. These shepherds are an integral part of the story. And after we hear, after the sto- their part of the story is done, we don't hear anything more about them, do we? But we see their impact. Look what, we're still talking about them today. Something There's something to their story when 2,000 years later, we're still telling that story. Now, as a last note, the fact that the gospel writer, Luke, is telling their story. Luke researched. Luke was a historian. He traveled with uh, Paul a lot. Um, I would not surprise me if the internal Christian community in that first century knew some of these guys. These were the first converts. These were the first ones to see the real Messiah. So why didn't he come to the religious leaders? They were too stuck in their ways. Sometimes, sometimes a lot of religious learning can box you in. That's not me putting down religious learning, seminaries, and we need that. We need biblically sound teachers. We need smart teachers, intelligent teachers, people who understand what's going on. But there, but the elite religious leaders of their day were so boxed in by their prejudice of their conquerors, Rome, that they didn't want anything else other than a conquering Messiah. And what they got was the suffering Messiah. Now, Jesus will come back as a king one day. But at this point, he's our shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. Sometimes that message is the one least desired. The other message has more of a rock star mentality to it. This message, Jesus being a shepherd, the angels appearing to his shepherds, this puts the blue collar guy front and center. And sometimes that's not what the world wants. So, having said that, ladles and jelly spoons, I think this is an amazing message for us. Daddy, tell us that story about the angels. This is Mr. G. Here's my coffee. I'm out of here. Have a great day. Bye-bye. 